course, that song is from our pageant. And uh, isn't the choir well represented here today? Do you, do you see the choir and the orchestra down here? Now, you know, the reason I point that out is, I mean, they're going to be here today from about 2 o'clock to, to 9 o'clock tonight. And uh, I just appreciate all that they give. As a matter of fact, uh, Tim Mead, who you just saw standing right here uh, doing our offertory prayer, he's, he's in this singing all afternoon. He's back in the nursery right now volunteering. Folks, our church ha- or our God has blessed us with people who give and serve so much. And uh, now, I'll tell you something. They give so much, but our, our Savior's worthy of it, isn't He? Amen. And uh, when you thank God for this church, man, thank Him for the, the people He's brought here and their sacrifice and their commitment to serve that Savior who's so worthy. We have done two performances so far, Thursday night and, and Friday night. Thursday night, or Friday night was our first ticketed performance. Thursday night was for Angel Tree and FCA and a couple of other small groups between the two performances we've seen 29 people uh, that we know of pray to receive Christ I've already heard one incredible story uh, of a man who went out just just weeping went home and and prayed to receive Christ you know, that's the phenomenal thing we, we do get to to contact give information to people who let us know they've prayed to receive Christ because I believe there's that number and more that that we never do hear about that that go on back into their communities and their churches elsewhere but that's uh, such an exciting opportunity keep praying for say it is a long day. I told my family this morning we've got to hurry and get home so we can leave in time. <laughs> it's a quick turnaround today, but uh, you be praying for us. We got an awesome opportunity today. Is about fifteen hundred people will flow through here this afternoon. Want to start uh, my message this morning with a a passage from a story. Listen to this. Says the night scene of the quiet street was a collage of stark blue moonlight and bottomless shadows. But one shadow did not stir with the wind as did the tree shadows. Neither did it stand still as the building shadows. It crawled, quivered, moved along the street toward the church, while any light it crossed seemed to seek, sink into its blackness as if it were a breach torn in space. But this shadow had a shape. An animated creature-like shape. And as it neared the church, sounds could be heard. The scratching of claws along the ground. The faint rustling of breeze-blown membranous wings wafting just above the creature's shoulders. It either laughed or it coughed. The wheezes puffing out from deep within its throat could have been either. From its crawling posture, it reared up on its legs and looked about the quiet neighborhood, the black leathery jowls pulling back into a hideous death mask grin. It moved toward the front door. The black hand passed through the door like a spear through liquid. The body hobbled forward and penetrated the door, but only halfway. Suddenly, as if colliding with a speeding wall, the creature was knocked backward into a raging tumble down the steps. The glowing red breath tracing a corkscrew trail through the air. With an eerie cry of rage and indignation, it gathered itself up off the sidewalk and stared at the strange door that would not let it pass through. Then the membranes on its back began to billow, enfolding great bodies of air, and it flew with a roar headlong at the door, through the door, into the foyer, and into a cloud of white-hot light. The creature screamed and covered its eyes, then felt itself being grabbed by a huge, powerful vice of a hand. 
In an instant, it was hurling through space like a rag doll, outside again, forcefully ousted. There was an explosion of suffocating vapor, one final scream and the flailing of withering arms and legs. Then there was nothing at all except the ebbing stench of sulfur and the two strangers in the church. The big blonde man replaced a shining sword as the white light that surrounded him faded away. A spirit of harassment, he asked, or doubt or fear. Who knows? And that was one of the smaller ones. <laughs> I've not seen one smaller. That's how a scene is described as two angels and a demon battle at the front door of a church as a pastor is inside alone praying. Or at least that's how Frank Peretti imagined it in this fiction novel called This Present Darkness. In 1986, this was a bestseller, along with several others that he wrote right after this. And this book, in many respects, just kind of describes life in this small college town. I mean, it's a, it's a town where good things are happening. It's a town where some bad things are happening. There's, there's good, there's evil, there's ups and downs, there's life. But what Frank Peretti does as he tells this story is he tries to describe for us, kind of paints a portrait of quite possibly what's going on behind what you and I call daily living. He, he describes spiritual warfare, the battle between demons and angels, a battle that has its consequences inside of what you and I call daily living. Now, as you go through the book, you, you read scenes like what I just read, all the way to things like a, a demon being draped over the engine of a car so that it won't start. Now, you know, as people read this, and I remember this coming out in 1986, as, as people read it, you know, some said, oh man, I think that's exactly what it's like. And then you had others say, well, that was a, that was a little bit fanciful imagination for me. But wherever you fell in understanding how he describes these different scenes, I think for many, many, many people across the church during that time, it opened their eyes to something that we don't really spend a lot of time considering. And that's spiritual warfare. Now, I, I'm not one who believes that there is a demon behind every single problem. I also believe that man can sin and cause great destruction in his own life and in others' lives without any influence of Satan or demons at all. But I do believe in a spiritual world. I believe in spiritual forces. I believe they are at war. And I believe the consequences of that war are played out in what you and I call daily life. As we've gone through now seven, eight months through our study of Ephesians... We have seen all that God has for us. As a matter of fact, Ephesians in many respects is about the wealth. The wealth of a believer. As a matter of fact, that's kind of the opening theme in Ephesians 1.3. You might remember it says that you and I possess every spiritual blessing in the heavens. Everything. Everything that we need to walk through a fallen world. Everything that we need to know God, to grow in God, to live victoriously in God. Everything we need has been provided for us. So why doesn't it feel like it? I mean, as I read through Ephesians, it would seem like that's to be the norm. 
This is what the average Christian is experiencing. But as I look around, around the world, around believers, around our own church, I, I don't know that I could say this is what the average person is experiencing. Why is that? Could it be that somebody's trying to keep us from it? We come today to a passage, Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 20, that we are going to take a woefully brief look at. This is an extremely significant passage, and I, and I do not feel like I'm doing justice with it today. Let me explain what I mean by that. I already have written 13 sermons on Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. And I didn't write them to put them in a folder somewhere. You're going to get them one day. I promise you that. You're going to probably get them real soon. But you say, well, then why aren't we getting them now? Well, matter of fact, by the end of the sermon day, you may feel like you got all 13. But, uh, you know, where we are with Christmas and and even coming after Christmas, we're we're just at a place where it's it's time for me to conclude Ephesians and, and move on to some other things. But I do plan in the next year or so coming back and doing a series on spiritual warfare and spiritual armor. This is an incredibly significant passage in which there is much to understand. It's a passage that deals with things, folks, that touch every day of our lives. And part of its significance is the insignificance that we give it. We really ignore a lot that is in this passage. When I say ignore, folks, I don't, I don't mean you don't believe in it. I don't mean that you're, you're disobeying. I'm saying that you and I, I do the same thing. We read these truths, we nod our head in agreement, and, and these passages will be a thousand miles away, probably by four o'clock tomorrow. We tend to ignore some very powerful truths here. And yet these are the things that are meant to give us that strength. These are the things that are meant to open up that storehouse of heavenly blessings that are to be ours. And yet maybe we don't always experience. So let's dive into this passage today. See if we can get enough general understanding of it that maybe it kind of piques your curiosity and and you go do some study on your own. But let's see what God has for us in Ephesians chapter 6. I'll begin reading in verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. If you don't have a Bible with you, I hope you'll grab one there in the pew and uh, study along with us. Ephesians 6, verse 10. It says, finally, you, you may feel like that if you've been here the entire eight months listening to this study of Ephesians. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by His vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. This is why you must, you must take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand, therefore, with, well, with truth, like a belt, around your waist. Stand with righteousness like armor across your chest. Stand with your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take the shield of faith and with it you will be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is God's Word. With every prayer and request, 
Pray at all times in the Spirit. And stay alert in this with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. In our study of Ephesians, we saw in Ephesians chapter 2 that God has a great supply of grace. A great supply of forgiveness. The best news you can hear today is God has more forgiveness than you have sin. His well, His vat of forgiveness is bigger than your well of sin. That's pretty good news, isn't it? I think we all need to dip into that well of His forgiveness. Well, now as we come into Ephesians chapter 6, we see that with all that God provides is the strength. We've got all the strength that we need to grow in that grace, to advance in that forgiveness. We've got all the strength we need for walking through this world. As a matter of fact, look at verse 10. It says, be strengthened by the Lord. Folks, that's a command. That's a command for every one of us. Now, let me tell you, don't look down at your scripture anymore. Keep your eyes up on me for a second. Because you just heard what I read. But let me tell you what you read and let me tell you what you heard. That's not there. What you just read and what you think you heard was, when you feel weak... Be strengthened in the Lord. When you feel like you don't have enough for today, when you feel like the challenge is bigger than you, go to the Lord for His strength. Folks, that's not what the passage said. It didn't say anything about when you feel weak, when you need more, when you need a turbocharge. It says, be strengthened in the Lord. Whether you're at the bottom of the barrel or you're on top of the world, you may be strong, you may be confident, Everything in life may be going right for you right now. This command is still for you. Be strengthened in the Lord. That's where we're to get our strength. That's the command of God on our life. Is that where you're, what you're doing? Let me ask you a couple questions. Where do you go when you're angry? Where do you go when you don't know the answer? Where do you go when you need help? Where do you go when you're frustrated? Where do you go when you're worried? You know, if you're honest with yourself, most of the time we go to a person, we go to an organization, we go to an institution. These are the things that are going to fix the problem. These are the things that are going to make me happy. These are the things that are going to give me life and strength and meaning. Now, as believers, a lot of us, no, no, I I stopped, I prayed, I depended upon the Lord. But then we leave the Lord and we go over and we expect that institution or that person to fix it for us. Folks, the Bible doesn't even say go to the Lord first. It says go to the Lord first, second, and last. That's the only place we're to go. We are to rely on Him. We are to depend upon Him. We are to wait on Him. Our life, our purpose, our meaning, our strength is to come from the Lord. And when we go to Him, look at what it says there. He has a vast, vast supply God has for us all the resources that we need, all of the strength that we need to move through a fallen world, all of the strength that we need to grow in our relationship with the Lord. He has a vast supply for us. It's not going to run out. Now here again, I'm back to that same question. Then why don't I feel it? Where where is it? Am Am I doing something wrong Well, quite possibly the problem is somebody's keeping you from it. 
As a matter of fact, that's exactly what God warns us of. That's what God tells us next. You have an enemy. You know who he is. He's Satan. He is the devil. He's bad. He's mean. He's awful. We know that. Many of us in here, I would expect most of us in here, believe in Satan as a, as a personal, individual creature being. We believe in him. We know he's bad. We know he's trying to do bad things in the world and maybe in our life. But I'll tell you something. I think, I don't know this for a fact, but I think no matter how much we might believe in that, I think probably most of us don't even come close to having a grasp on just how evil he is and two, on how much he hates you. And I don't mean you as a part of humanity or you as a part of Christianity. I mean you, your driver's license, your name, your face, your life. We don't have a grasp on how singularly focused he is on your life. Let me tell you something. Satan has, look at the word there, tactics. Satan has a plan. He has a strategy. He's actually thinking about this. How do I ruin their life? How do I mess them up? Now, he looks at this in two different ways. On the one hand, there's, there's those of us in here, probably not many, I hope not, who are not believers. We're not children of God. We don't belong to heaven. We are possessed by hell. Hell owns us. Well, if I'm in that position, then Satan's strategy is to keep me there. To keep me busy with the world, to keep me content in the world, to, to keep me looking at the Bible and Christianity with just a, a little bit of skepticism, a little bit of doubt. Sounds kind of silly to me. He, he got all kinds of ways. The goal is to keep me here. Now, many of us in this room came to faith in Christ. Hell lost us. And we've been won by heaven. Now, hell can't get us back. But Satan still has a strategy here. And that is to keep me from experiencing, to keep me from enjoying this relationship and to keep me from experiencing and enjoying all these blessings, these spiritual blessings of heaven and the strength that God has for me. And, and, and Satan has, I mean, this is what God's warning us of. Satan has a whole strategy for keeping me from enjoying what God has. You know, for, for some people, it's not real hard. He just, you know, he just holds out in front of our eyes. He dangles a little bit of the things of the world. He, he dangles a little, bit of, a little bit of sex, a little bit of money, a little bit of achievement, a, a, a little bit of, you know, all kinds of things in the world. And we, we go running off after that, that. That's where my life is. That's what will make me happy. That's what will get... What? Give me confidence. That's what will make me strong. That's what will make my life meaningful. And we go running off after it. And then, by the way, then we blame God because the Christian life doesn't really seem to work for us. But He's warned us, watch out, Satan's trying to pull you away from what I have. For other believers, Satan absolutely sidelines their entire life with bitterness and anger and hatred. Why do you think the Bible talks to us so much about loving and forgiving one another? It's because nothing will take you out of everything God has for you quicker than your anger and your bitterness towards someone else. Some people he, he preoccupies with addictions. Other people he, he paralyzes with fears. Folks, I, I can't make a list. I mean, it, 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 I can't enumerate all of the things. But He knows you. He knows your life. 
He, he has a strategy. He has a plan. This guy is cunning. He is smart. He is big. He's strong. He's bigger than you. The good news is, he's not bigger than God. He is not bigger than God. You know, a lot of times, and I think, I think we know this, but I think even as believers sometimes we imagine this. We imagine this big cosmic battle. It's good versus evil. It's light versus dark. It's God versus Satan. And there they are in the realm. Man, they're battling it out. There, there's blood. There's sweat. There's casualties. And, and God's fighting down to the end. And Satan's fighting down to the end. Well, we're waiting to get to the end to see who's going to win. Now, folks, even in a passage in which we're using words like warfare and battle and armor, folks, let me tell you something. God is not in a battle. God's not fighting. God's not sweating. God's not concerned. He's not going, what do we do next? I never saw him coming around the flank. Let me tell you something. Satan cannot do anything that God doesn't allow him to do. Now, that's a huge statement. Because if we'll stop and look around the world, there's apparently some pretty big issues that God has allowed Satan to do. That's a little bit difficult sometimes for us to get our arms around. But if we can just set that thought aside for a moment. Folks, once God draws a line, you can do this, but no more. You can't go past this line. Satan can do nothing. There's no battle in which Satan is getting away with something that God wasn't prepared for. God draws the line and that's it. So so don't picture God and Satan up there fighting it out down tooth and nail to see what's going to happen. That's not the case. Satan is powerful, but he's not all powerful. Satan is smart. He's wise. He's cunning, but he's not all knowing. He's not all wise like God. Satan is more like you and me than he is God in that God is everywhere present. Satan is a finite being. He's a creature. He's in one spot. If, at this moment, Satan is standing right next to me, he's not out there sitting next to you, and he's not at another church, and he's not at the bar, and he's not down the street. He's nowhere else. If he's right here, he's right here. And that's it. Now, his power, his presence, his strategy is felt everywhere, not because he's everywhere present like God, but because he has a lot of demons working with him and for him. And that's what verse 12 is referring to here when it talks about rulers, authorities, world powers of darkness, spiritual forces of evil. This is a, a cla- These are different classes of angels. As a matter of fact, as you look at both the Old Testament and the New Testament, whenever it's talking about angels, when it's talking about demons, you, really for our mindset, we think almost like an army. They're very organized, there's classes, there's rank, they live, they work inside of that rank and order. It's true in the demonic realm, it's true in the angelic realm. Now for our purposes today, the goal of our lesson is not the ins and outs of the demonic world. It's simply to recognize there is one and they hate you. They hate you personally. And now we come to one of the most significant truths of Scripture that we regularly ignore and just cannot live by. It says right there in verse 12, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is not, it is not against flesh and blood. What does that mean? It means your boss is not your enemy. Your mate is not your enemy. That guy who throws beer cans in your yard is not your enemy. 
That, that co-worker who takes credit, who lies about you, is not your enemy. That, that person who stole your boyfriend or girlfriend, they're not your enemy. Your teacher is not your enemy. The Republicans and the Democrats are not our enemy. The liberals and the conservatives are not our enemy. The media, this is a tough one for me to say, is not our enemy. Now, you know why it's tough for me to say that? Same reason it's tough for you to say it. Well, Lord, I'm looking at them. They sure do look like the enemy. Lord, I saw them lie about me. I saw them steal from me. I saw them hurt me. They look like the enemy, Lord. God says they're not your enemy. Now, that person who lied about you, hurt you, did whatever that makes them seem like the enemy. Now, they're a sinner. And they have apparently, I'm assuming, sinned against you. And they'll be held accountable. They are responsible for what that sin. But what Satan has the ability to do in his cunning and in his power is kind of wrap up our human tendencies, wrap up our sin and make it the most precise bomb possible. In other words, in the course of a day, I might walk through the course of a day and, and uh, you know, I might get, my feelings might get a little hurt by somebody in the family uh, as I leave the house that morning. And, and, and then I'm walking through the day and somebody that morning that says a little something that, that's just kind of mean. And, and then I get over here and I'm talking to somebody and they, and they lie to me. Now, I've had one, two, three sins against me, all kind of small, no big deal. And I might be able to blow right past them. What Satan's going to do is make sure I don't blow right past them. What he's going to do is try to wrap all three of those things up and make sure they hit me just appropriately. Make sure they hit me just right so I get bogged down in what? Anger, bitterness, so that I don't forgive. He's going to really tune me in to how this is all happening and how evil and how mean that person is. And folks, if I don't get this truth, then what do I do? Not only do I disobey God, but then I start to pour out my energies and my efforts toward the wrong enemy. You know, it doesn't even matter at this point if it's good efforts or bad efforts. I mean, you might be doing something, you might be praying for them. Or or maybe you're getting revenge. But if all of my efforts and energy are going in the sense that that person's my enemy, I'm beating my head against the wall right there. And God's up in heaven going, they're not your enemy. I told you they're not the enemy. And I'm going, yes, they are. And then we wonder why we're left weak. They're not the enemy. Now, folks, I want to tell you something. I have a hard time with this. Why? Because I'm a physical being. What makes most sense to me is the physical world. What I can see and feel and touch and understand. and, And what I see and feel and touch and understand is that person's my enemy. But, you know, I stop and I think, and I'm pretty sure this is true for you also. What I see, think, feel and understand has let me down before. What I see, think, feel, and understand has been wrong before. God's insight's never been wrong. What God has told me has never failed me. So really, folks, this is going to come to a point. It's not going to be a feeling. I don't really think one day your eyes open and go, Oh my gosh, God was right the whole time. They're not my enemy. No, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I think most days, day in and day out, flesh and blood is going to look like your enemy until you say, You know what? I'm just going to take God at face value on this. As much as that person hurts me, annoys me, and bothers me, I'm going to stop treating that issue like it's the enemy and I'm going to start trusting God here. He says they're not the enemy. And I'm going to start focusing my prayers, focusing my life, my energies on what God says the enemy is. 
Well, now, where are we now? Well, now we're at our enemy. Satan is our enemy. Sin is our enemy. The world is our enemy. And by the way, folks, this is the truth behind that little cliche you hear all the time. Love the sinner, hate the sin. How? How can I love the sinner and separate him from the sin? Because they're not the enemy. This is the spiritual truth behind that. Our enemy is Satan. So what do we do now? We, we put on the strength of the Lord and we go running and looking after Satan and his demons to pick a fight with him. Please don't do that. He will wear you out early and often. Folks, I tell you something, there is something I just horribly disagree with. And that's certain TV preachers and, and even Christian faiths that just teach this concept of chasing Satan down, looking for demons, calling them out by name. By the way, you won't find a passage of Scripture that tells you to go hunt Satan down and take him on in a fight. He's powerful. Most powerful angel I know is Michael. And when Michael went up against me, he said, I'm going to leave it to the Lord. Okay, we're not called to pick a fight with the devil. What we're called to do, we're called to stand. I want you to notice that posture because it helps us understand a lot of these pieces of the armor. This is not about going out, fighting, finding, and looking for. This is about putting on. Our strength is in putting on and in living the armor of God. I add that word living. I like the word living the armor of God rather than putting on. I'll tell you why. Because putting on implies we put on and take off, we put on and we take off. As a matter of fact, I've heard in Bible studies and sermons that people talk about, now each day you should put on your armor. Now I understand that actually is a good exercise to think about each piece of the armor that God's given us. But that concept of putting on and taking off is totally wrong. The word here, put on, is in a verb tense in the past tense that implies once you put it on, it stays on. You don't put it on and then take it off. This armor, folks, what does armor do? Armor defends me. Armor protects me. This is my shield. The world, Satan, sin are seeking to advance into my life. This armor stops that. It protects that. When, pray tell, would I not want this on? Never. Not on this planet. Not right now. We always have this armor on. Now, what is this armor? And here's where I'm getting woefully brief. Because I have a, a sermon on each piece of the armor. But you're going to get about four sentences. Here we go. Truth. Here's our armor, folks. God has given us truth. It's like a belt. Now think about what a belt does. A, a, a belt kind of holds everything together. Pull, I'm not talking about your belly. Uh, 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 the belt holds everything together. As a matter of fact, in a number of types of armor, different pieces of armor are actually attached to the belt. And it's the belt is the last piece that kind of cinches it up and holds it all together. But when you think of a belt, even if you're just thinking a pair of pants, it holds it together. So when Paul uses this as a metaphor, what is this piece of armor? This is something that holds our life together. What holds my life together? Truth. Now when he says truth, what are we talking about? We're talking about telling the truth? And we know the Bible tells us to be honest, to tell the truth. Ephesians chapter 4, we studied that passage, talked about how we are to be a people who tell the truth. But that's not the focus here. The focus here is truth as content. What do I mean by that? What holds my life together is my study, my commitment to, my understanding of God's revealed truth truth versus getting deceived and running off after false priorities, false beliefs, 
the lies of the world and they're out there. You are bombarded with them every day of your life. These things are put in front of you. And if I'm not living in, understanding and committed to studying this truth, I am easily swayed in one of those directions. And then guess what happens when I get gobbled up by it? My life falls apart. What keeps my life from falling apart? What holds my life together? Commitment to the truth. Then we've got the the breastplate of righteousness. Breastplate, this is what protects those vital organs. This is what protects the heart. You know what protects your heart? Simple, godly, holy living. Righteousness is what protects our vitals. And we can think about righteousness in two ways. One, righteousness is bestowed on us by God when we place our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. When we come to that understanding that my good works, my life, my church, my uncle's a pastor, when we come to the understanding that those things don't make us right with God, and we turn from trusting in them to trusting in what Jesus did for us at the cross, Romans chapter 5 says, at that moment I am declared holy. It's a legal term. In the courts of heaven, I have just been declared holy by God. I am now in right standing with God. But that faith we put in Christ is not meant to be just a faith for that moment. Whoo! I got my fire insurance. Now I go on. No, I am to move from that faith in what Christ did for me at the cross to my faith in Christ's life. In other words, I move from right standing to right living to right walking. I have faith that Christ's way is the way. Christ's way of living is the way of living and I go where He went. I live as He lived. I relate as He related. I live the life of Christ. Righteousness, right standing, given to me by God. Righteousness, right living, following Jesus Christ. That protects our heart. Third piece of armor. Shoes for the gospel of peace. Maybe the most misquoted, misinterpreted piece of armor here. I have more often than not heard this referred to as going out and telling the gospel. The problem with this is that going out and telling the gospel is an offensive move that has nothing to do with our protection. Folks, you've got to think about the context. The context is armor. Armor that defends my life. Armor that protects me against the attacks of the world. The translation of this is not going out and being a witness. Now, does the Scripture command us to go out and be a witness? All the time. But that's not what this piece of armor is about. Well, then what is it? Okay, what are shoes? Shoes give me footing. They they keep me from slipping. Okay, so here's the metaphor. What keeps me from slipping in this world? It is my feet anchored in this truth. I have been loved, forgiven, and accepted by God. I am at peace with Him. Again, Romans chapter 5. I am at peace with God. Everything between me and God, because of Christ, everything between me and God is okay. Folks, you won't find a more unstable life than somebody who doesn't really know if they're saved. Than somebody who's still questioning and battling whether God will accept them. Folks, our, our security, and by the way, this little piece of armor is scriptural evidence for eternal security. God plans on this being the footing, the sure footing of our life. That confidence. You know why this is so important? And almost probably all of us have been there. Because Satan will from time to time come and whisper in your ear, God couldn't possibly love you. Look at what you did. Look at what you're really like. You think God loves you? You think God would forgive a person like you? Oh, wait a minute. I got armor for that. 
I'm standing on God's love and acceptance. Not because of my worthiness, but because of the work that Christ did for me at the cross. You see the security that that gives in life? Man, we can throw that off. We can throw Satan off with that. So what's the shoes of the gospel of peace? It's our standing in the confidence of our salvation that Jesus won for us. This next piece of armor is the shield of faith. Now notice it says there, folks, with it you will be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now I just described Satan as this great strength, very smart, awesome being who could wear you out. And he can. I believe that before his fall, Satan is the highest thing God created. Most powerful, most beautiful, most awesome thing that God created. This is one bad dude. But God has given you something. You can block everything. Everything that Satan could throw at you. I wasn't trying to scare you earlier. Say, oh my gosh, this Satan, you can't beat him. No, God has given us armor. He's given us a shield that we can throw off everything Satan throws at us. How do we do it? By faith. By faith. Now, what do you mean by faith? Well, I just did it a moment ago. I'm sitting here and I'm looking back. And every now and then I have a day where I think, gosh, how could God love me? How could God possibly use me? You know what, folks? We do a lot of talking to ourselves. You know, a lot of times that's Satan. He's a master of disguises. He will disguise himself behind your voice. And so you'll think you're telling yourself, I'm not lovable. I'm not worthy of being forgiven. And man, those attacks from Satan can absolutely undo our life until we throw up that shield of faith and say, wait a minute, the Bible says God does love me. The Bible says God has forgiven me, not because of how good or not good I live this day, but because of what Jesus did for me. And see, that's I put my faith not in what I see, not in what I hear, not in what I process. I put my faith in what God's Word says. And man, we just go all throughout the day like that. We walk by faith, not by Not by sight, not by what we hear, not by what we touch. We walk by faith in God, faith in Jesus Christ, faith in His love, faith in His presence. You ever felt like, I can't really tell God's with me? Who's telling you that? Satan's telling you God's not with you. Whom? Throw up that shield of faith. No, the scripture says God will never leave me nor forsake me. That's our shield of faith. Then we put on that helmet of salvation. This is not referring to being saved from hell. This is not referring to being saved from our sin. Remember, salvation, simple term, means being rescued. What protects my head? What, what protects my, my mind, my sanity? It's the hope that this mess ends. That's what the helmet of our salvation is. It's my hope that one day I'm going to be rescued out of this battle. I'm going to be rescued out of this fallen body. I'm going to be rescued out of this world of sin. You know, isn't it mentally draining to think all you're doing is surviving? All you're doing is getting up, going through another day, wondering what, what, what's today's hit going to be? Where am I going to get bowled over by life today? Gosh, that's a, that's a horribly depressing defeating mentality. And God says, no, our mentality, what protects our head is... Tell you something, I'm rough. I'm deep in it right now. I'm getting beat up, but I'm not getting beat up forever. Jesus is returning. He's bringing His kingdom. Glory and victory will be mine. That's what protects my sanity. 
Folks, we're going somewhere. Our hope is heaven. Our hope is the return of the Lord. And lastly, we are given an offensive weapon. The first six pieces, they keep Satan, they keep the world, they keep sin from advancing into our life. Now we get one offensive weapon. It's this Bible. And this is how we advance through a fallen world. This is how we advance in our growth and walk with the Lord. Now what does that mean? That this, he uses a sword. How, how, how do I wield this so that it's an, an effective sword? One question, one commitment. Here's the question. What's the Bible say? Here's the commitment. That's what I'm going to do. Where do you use that question? Where do you use that commitment? Where do you use that sword? Everywhere, of every second, of every day. You walk into a decision, you walk into a relationship, you walk into a failure, you walk into a success, you, you, you walk into boredom, you walk into excitement, you walk into your brain and look at all the thoughts running around in there, you walk into your character habits, you walk into your home, everywhere you go, all day long, you're saying, what does the Bible say about that? That's what I'm going to do. That simple question and that simple equipment, commitment will make this an effective, powerful, awesome weapon in your life and in this world. So now we've got our armor, we've got a sword, now we go pick a fight with Satan, right? No, no, next thing we do, still stand there, we pray. We pray. This summer, I got to go to Houston and, and we went to see the Houston Astros play in their new stadium. And I think there's a number of these new kinds of stadiums has a retractable roof. So sometimes it's an outdoor field and sometimes they close the roof and it's, it's air-conditioned. It's something to see that, that, that thing sliding back, that retractable roof. You know what prayer is? Prayer is the retractable roof of our life so that all of the strength and resources of heaven can come flooding into it. Man, when I pray, all the strength of heaven comes pouring into my body, pouring into this armor so that it does what God designed it to do. Now, folks, I do not want to oversimplify this, this whole set of armor that we have. Because I think there's some very specific things on each of these that we need to be focused. But if you'll notice, each piece of the armor came back to having something to do with, with what we know, with what we understand, with how we obey this Word. And then pray. Now folks, there is a direct proportion to your experience with God's strength, to your experience with everything God has for you, there's a direct proportion to your experience with that and the time, the involvement, the work that you spend in this book and in prayer. Much time in this book, much time in prayer, much strength, much God. Little time in this book, little time in prayer, Little strength. Little experience with God. Most of us in this room fall in the category of little prayer and little time in this book. And we've got all kinds of reasons why. I have one question for you this morning. Where does the reason that you won't get up tomorrow 
and spend time in this book and in prayer. And I don't mean five minutes. Where is the reason that you won't get up and do that tomorrow? Where does it come from? It doesn't come from God. And He's trying to tell you, you have an enemy. So when you walk away from time with God in His Word and in prayer, don't say it's because it's irrelevant. Don't say because I can't make sense out of it. Don't say because I'm not good at it. No, you had an enemy. And He just won. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you please give us the ability to believe this? God, would we believe this so much that it absolutely, totally affects what we do when we get up tomorrow morning? It's in the name of Jesus Christ that I pray this. Amen.